1 Corinthians is an epistle written by the Apostle Paul that was written for the instruction and the admonishment of the Corinthian church. They had come underneath fire from different problems that existed within their young congregation. And Paul is writing to them to encourage them, to admonish them, to correct them, and to instruct them. One of the problems that they faced was carnality and divisions. For he says in verse number 4, For while one saith, I am a Paul, and another, I am a Paulus, are you not carnal? So, this is a topic of discussion that is brought up here at the very beginning of division. It seems that this church, in every way possible, and when they had a problem, an issue at hand, they seemed to deal with it in an incorrect manner. And Paul was instructing them, he was teaching them, he was exhorting them to do what was right. As he moves on through the chapter in chapter number 3, he explains to them that famous verse in verse number 6, I have planted Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. It's not one or the other, it's not Paul or Apollos, it's not one person or another person, but rather it is us working together for the cause of Christ, and it is only God that is able to give the increase. It's really only God that is able to get the credit and should get the credit. And then he moves down to verse number 9, where we'll begin our study at, when he says, for we are laborers together with God. We're all working in this thing together. So there is a togetherness that is uh, a part of this theme in 1 Corinthians. There is this idea of the church working together, the church being together. But as we're going to see, that there's also an individual aspect in this particular chapter too. He's not just dealing with the church, but he's also dealing with individuals. He says in verse number 9, he says, Ye are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. That word ye, it might seem very small, but is a very important word in this section. It's a strong word, in fact. It's pointing to the fact that ye, talking to them personally, are God's building, God's husbandry. You're God's farm, if you will. That's what husbandry was. It was farming, those kinds of things. Raising of animals is really what husbandry is. Horses, cows, and sheep, and things of that nature. He's saying, this is what you are. But in verse 10, he says, According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. So he's going to take this analogy of a building, and he's going to build upon it. No pun intended there. Uh, But he's going to use this analogy of building, and he's going to move all the way down through the text, in fact, all the way through into verse number 15, and uh, really into 17. For he says that as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay that is laid than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, 
because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If a man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved by fire. Yet so he shall be saved, yet so as by fire. And this is our key verse tonight, verse 16. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Again, there it is. Ye. That's who you are. Verse 16 again. Know you not that ye are the temple of God. You know the difference between a home and a house? Home and a house? A house... It's just a structure. That's all it is. It's just a building. A home is where people live. A house is something that can be in a neighborhood or it can be out in a field and nobody's lived there for 100 years. A house is a house. But a home requires somebody to be living inside of that house. Have you ever noticed a house that nobody lives in, what begins to happen to the house? It begins to become in disrepair, right? It's amazing to me that the sheer living in a place, even if neglect happens, that this the sheer living of a place, providing life to something, gives life to the house. There's something to be said to that, to be thought about that. But us just living in a home, a house, in order to fulfill, to fulfill its full potential, must be used. If it's not being used, then it falls apart. And the same was true about the tabernacle and the temple back in the Old Testament days. Both of those places were just houses. Now, they are pretty fancy houses. <laughs> None of us have ever been in a house like that. Gold walls, amen? You know what I'm talking Gold floors. I've never been in a house like that. Pretty fancy house, if you will. But those two houses only became living, able, a living, able home whenever God came to reside in those places. They were, they were, they were just fanciful worship centers, if you will, if God was not there. But because God there, when God came down, his spirit moved in, then what do you have? You have life that's added to this house. And the same is true about our bodies. He says, ye are God's building. Ye are the temple of God. That's what you are. And our bodies, in order to be useful to God's glory and for God's kingdom, must have the Holy Spirit of God living within us. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6 and verse number 19, he Kind of brings this up again by saying, what? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own. Just like Israel, whenever they polluted the temple long enough, it was destroyed, and so it is with us. The longer we neglect the Spirit of God, quench His Spirit, grieve Him, the sooner the collapse of our own houses, and I truly believe the collapse of churches, too. As I said, I believe this is speaking individually and church-wide. And so we need to learn that ye are the temple of God. 
That's what we are. Ye are the temple of God. All of us. All of us that are born again, saved believers in Jesus Christ, our homes have been made useful. This home, this tabernacle, this body, this temple has been made useful for the glory of God because God's Holy Spirit now lives with inside of us. If God's Spirit does not live with inside of us, then, folks, we're just an empty shell, if you will. We're just a body. But in order to be used for God's glory, for God's kingdom, in order to, for uh, us to see the rewards that he's talking about that I just read to you here, if any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward, then you must be filled with the Spirit of God. Nobody that's unsaved is going to get to heaven one day and get rewards. Does that make sense? Because the only rewards that are available are available to those that are saved, that are believers in Jesus Christ our Lord. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Now, that statement right there will contradict some teaching of other churches and some teaching of other, other doctrines that say that, uh, that you receive the Spirit of God subs- uh, uh, subsequently after you get saved. But that's not the teaching of the New Testament. The New Testament teaches us that the moment that salvation occurs to us, that, we are, that we're saved, that we are justified uh, by His blood and believe upon Jesus Christ, He says, ye are the temple of God. You have God's Spirit in you. You have God's Spirit in you, working in you, being a blessing, being a help in your life. So let's approach this by three points tonight. Number one, we are God's building. Number two, be careful how you build. And number three, a motivation to build appropriately. Uh, We are God's building. We are God's building. Be careful how you build. And let us notice a motivation on how to build Uh, appropriately. Uh, Notice, number one, that we are God's building. And this is the biggest part of the section. It's from verses 9 down to 12 where he says, for we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. So number one, we are God's building. The first principle to establish is this, is that we are all God's building by the grace of God. Amen. I mean, by the grace of of God. There's no other way in which I could be uh, God's building, uh, the Holy Spirit of God living inside of me, if it not be by the grace of God. None of us have our beginnings in ourselves. Uh, If you took a blueprint here tonight and laid it out in front of you, uh, the blueprint doesn't jump off the page and suddenly sink to himself, you know what, I want to be a house. And so I'll jump off and I'll be, instead of being this one-dimensional character, I'll jump off and I'll become this three-dimensional character. A blueprint doesn't do that. And so you too, my friend, are not saved in such a way. But rather, your salvation begins with who? God. Begins with the Lord. It begins with Him. And if it starts any other way, then it's not true salvation. If you say, well, I was saved this way or I was saved that way. And if you don't begin with God, you're beginning at the wrong spot. It all begins with God. He makes this point in verse number 9 very generally, but then again in verse number 10 very specifically, that it is the grace of God working in our hearts and our lives to save us, to begin us, if you will. And he says, I started, uh, Paul says, I started, though, as a wise master builder. 
Now, you talk to any master builder, and that's a great terminology right there, master builder. He's not talking just about some, uh, some uh, Johnny, uh, Johnny Go Lucky. He's not talking about some person that's just kind of uh, working on the side. No, this is a master builder. This is somebody that's built many houses. Where do they always start? Well, you don't start with the furnishings, all right? Sorry, ladies, okay? It doesn't start there, all right? Uh, it, doesn't start with, it doesn't start with the paint or the decor, okay? It doesn't even start with the walls or the roof or any of those kinds of things. Um, I can remember, I, I know that in building houses, that by sheer experience, that by in building a house, it feels like in the beginning stages, in fact, it feels like almost three-quarters of the way that nothing is ever getting done. It feels like nothing is happening uh, because all we want to see is a, is a dresser or a bed or at least a toilet. You know what I mean? We want to see something in the house. But none of that is possible unless, first of all, you have a foundation. That's where it all starts at. And a wise master builder knows that. A wise master builder can walk into a, a, a room like this. And uh, we can say there's a problem with the ceiling. There's a problem with the walls, or our windows don't open correctly. Uh, there's a problem with the windows. A wise master builder will go around and examine everything and say, no, none of that's your problem. Those are all signs to a problem, to the problem that your foundation has issues. Your foundation's got problems. I've literally seen uh, plumbing and foundations snapped in two because there was a bad shift in the foundation. It all goes back to the foundation. The foundation. So what is our foundation? It all begins with grace, but what is our foundation? The grace of God gave us our foundation, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our foundation. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace come from the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wherefore, is also contained in the Scripture, it is in Isaiah, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. You don't start with a roof. You don't start with any of those things. You start with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So uh, with that, I'll say this. I'm always very concerned when I talk to somebody, and I speak to them, and I ask them this question. I say, are you saved? Or I might say, are you a Christian? Are you a believer in the Lord? And they might answer, yes. Yes, I am. But then I try to sometimes follow up with this next question. Well, how do you know that? It always bothers me when I get any other answer besides Jesus Christ. You know what I'm saying? It always is a bother to my spirit, to my soul. Now, sometimes people are caught off guard by questions. You were caught off guard tonight and everything, and I didn't even give you a chance to maybe share a testimony. Maybe one of y'all had. Anybody have a testimony after I said that? You said, no, I don't want to share it now, you know, I'm in the middle of the message. Um, maybe sometimes people are caught off guard. I, you know, I try to give people the benefit of the doubt. But even sometimes after you begin to try to coach them into the right answer, there still is not the right answer. 
There still is no mention of Jesus. There's no mention of, of Christ. There's no mention uh, uh, of the Lord. Uh, they readily admit that they've been baptized, uh, or they readily admit that they attend a church, or they readily admit that, they're, uh, that their mom or their grandma is a, is a pastor. I think Alex said that the other night, and I had to snicker when he said that. I don't know if he meant to say that or not. I thought that was funny, though. I thought it was good, good, good. That was good preaching. Uh, but, uh, you know, I don't know. There's always something. It always seems to be something there that they say, well, it's this thing or it's that thing or, uh, or I believe this way or I believe that. And, 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 and when you finally get around to it and you talk about Jesus Christ, it's almost like an add-on, like, oh, yeah, yeah, that too. No, no it's, it's Christ is the foundation. Now, I do, uh, as I said, I do believe that some of that is because of uh, bad preaching in churches. There is bad preaching. When I say bad preaching, I don't mean that they preach badly or they, they're not good to listen to. What I mean is that they're not theologically sound. They're not biblically sound. There is bad preaching in churches. I do, I do recognize that. But I hope that at our church that uh, anybody here that would be asked, uh, are you saved? If you said yes, uh, uh, how do you know you're saved? I hope your answer would be somewhere along the lines, because Jesus Christ saved me. Because Jesus died for me. Because I believe in Jesus, that he died on the cross for my sins and he rose again the third day. I love that answer when I go out soul winning. Man, that's a great answer. I say amen to that, brother. Uh, that's good to know. That's good to hear. I recognize that. I believe that. So we are God's building. It all begins with a foundation. It all starts there, okay? For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Notice he didn't say Buddha. He didn't say Muhammad. He didn't mention one of the 3,000 Hindu gods. He said the foundation is Jesus Christ. And any other foundation is no foundation at all. But rather, you're building upon shifting sands. You're building upon not the, you're not building upon the solid rock. So, now that's been established. Let us move on and understand this secondly. How are we... going to learn that we are, that ye are the temple of God. We are God's building. Secondly, be careful how you build. Now, he introduces this thought also with that chapter, with verse number 10 too, in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. For he says, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. See, now I do believe here again, like I said, he's going to individual here. He's saying, let every man. He's singling out people here. He's not just talking to the church. He's saying, let every person, let every man, they take heed or pay attention. That's what take heed is, means. Next time one of your kids get out of line, say, hey, take heed. All right, that's what you do right there, okay? Heather got that one down. She's going to say that. Take heed right there. That might, you know, it might cause uh, uh, at least they might pay attention a little bit just to wonder what in the world does take heed mean. So, uh, uh, but pay attention how you build. Many have taken this verse that is just talking to teachers and preachers about the word of God, and I can understand where they're coming from. Uh, and 
And some have taken this verse to just simply mean be careful what you teach and be careful what you preach. Be careful how you build upon this with with your doctrines and what you say and those kinds of things. But also, I believe there is another thing to be seen here is not only be careful what you teach and preach, but also let every man take heed how he builds. Let us all pay attention how we build upon the foundation that we have, which is Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, Sometimes we build incorrectly upon in our Christian lives, don't we? I've known I have known people that have that have that were saved, born again Christians, believers in the Lord, that got into some false teaching. They got into some false teaching. I knew a brother a brother of mine that that uh, that got into this false teaching that believed Jesus was coming back on this certain day. He got involved with that. Well, the day came and went, and he was sorely disappointed. He repented of that. He repented of that. Amen? We ought to repent of that. You ought not to stay stuck in the quagmire of your own pride and say, well, uh, that was just the wrong day. There's another day, maybe. Maybe we missed it. No, you missed it because you didn't listen to the Word of God, and you knew better, and you should have listened. So I've known people that have repented from false teaching. They're Christians, they're born again, but somehow they got drugged into some kind of false teaching. And that false teaching, be careful. One of the greatest hindrances upon our minds is false teaching. It is so difficult to get false teaching out of our minds. Stay with the Word of God. But we build incorrectly in other things. We build uh, maybe philosophies incorrectly. Philosophies on how we raise our children. Philosophies on how uh, we uh, think about education. Philosophies on our job. Philosophy about our, about our marriage. And, and instead of taking things biblically and appropriately, we come up with what I've been saying, philosophies. We have this philosophy and that philosophy. And we think this way and I think this way and I think it should be done this way. I'll never forget when I was working at Sears Roebuck and Company. Um, I was there and I built, or I should say assembled, uh, lots of different pieces of equipment. I assembled uh, lawnmowers and wheelbarrows and, uh, and countless numbers of grills. Uh, but one, things that we, one of the things we would do is we'd assemble exercise equipment. And after a year or so there, I had become pretty good at assembling things, okay? And I had become so good that I didn't need the instruction manuals anymore. I just, I saw the instruction manual and I just threw it to the side. I'll never forget this one time though. I pulled this, I got a, we got a special order from a customer and we had this piece, large piece of exercise equipment. It's very complex, and I started to get involved with this thing. I said, I've, seen, I've done one of these before. And I started putting it all together. In my mind, I can still remember the numbers 2 and 15. 2 and 15. The reason is, is because at step 2, I assembled this particular piece of exercise equipment together. I put a thing together and continued to work. And I got to step number 15 That number stands out in my mind. I know it does because I can remember very, very clearly that at step number 15, it told me to do something that I had done on step number 2. Because you see, you say, I thought you threw out the instructions. I did throw out the instructions until I realized that the thing wasn't going together by step number 15. 
I had realized that this thing was not working. There was something wrong. So when something finally goes wrong, what do we all do? Come on now. We get the instructions out, don't we? And then we start praying to God. Then we start asking God for things when, the, when, we, don't, when we don't work it out. So I started going back to the instructions. I started looking. And I realized what was supposed to be done on step number 15, I did on step number 2, which meant that I had to break down 14 different steps before I got back the thing started all over again. You say, that math doesn't add up. Well, I had to take apart step number two, too. So, all right. Uh, So uh, I had to take it all apart, go all the way back down to the very beginning. Because in the little instruction manual, it said a very important sentence. It said, do not install this bolt until step 15. If I would have read it, if I would have seen it, I would have realized that I was doing it wrong. But so many times in our lives, we do things wrong. We do things incorrectly. We build upon the foundation. We're solid. We're secure. We're saved. We're born again. We're believers. Hey, we're Baptists. Amen. I mean, we, we're, we got it down. We know what we believe. We believe what we believe. But the problem is this, is that we're saved. We're born again. But we start to build in an incorrect way. We get proud Whatever it is, we get ahead of God, we think we've got to figure it out, we fail to listen to God, we mess up in our lives, and we have to repent, tear things down, and start over again. It costs us time, energy, and money. But here we read that we can even build with the wrong material. He says in verse number, in verse number uh, 12, he says, Now if any man build upon the foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it. The day's going to declare it. What day is that? That's judgment day, folks. That's judgment day. Now, this message is not a message on the judgment seat of Christ. But all believers will have to stand in front of God one day and be judged. Are you saved? You'll stand in front of God. You will stand in front of God one day and be judged. I will. You will. Every Christian will. So always remember that. That's a sobering reminder. And he's kind of describing what this day is going to look like. He's saying that you're going to get there. And there's only going to be six different materials that you could have used to build your life upon Jesus Christ. Gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble. And all of those materials are going to be put to the test. And when they're put to the test, you're going to find out what remains and what's left behind. And when we build incorrectly, we build it, we're building with wood, hay, and stubble. We might have even thought that we were doing good or having good works, but our motives were wrong, our intentions were wrong, and God deems them incorrupt, deems them corrupt. Now, he says something very interesting in verse number 15. He says, yet so as by fire. If a man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. The key word to verse number 15 is this word, work. If any man's work, work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Now, there's two groups that like to use this verse and take it out of context. One, Catholics like to use this verse and like to preach purgatory. 
There's no preaching of purgatory here. All right? Not one going through the fire and staying in the fire. No, this is just a quick pass through of the fire and then going on to glory. This is not spending years and years and years in a place called purgatory. Secondly, the Bible doesn't say anything about purgatory whatsoever anyhow. Secondly, this is used by a group of people that like to teach that you can lose your salvation. You can lose your salvation. But here the Bible lets us know that they're not talking about losing salvation, talking about losing reward. Losing reward. All of us are given 24 hours in a day to live for Jesus Christ. What will you do with those 24 hours that you've been given? But he says here, he says that there will be some that come out on the other side of this thing that are saved yet so as by fire. Or as I like to put it, they're saved by the hair of their chinny-chin-chin. I mean, they're in glory. Amen? They ain't got nothing to show for it. I mean, that's, that's not a good place either. I think all of us, when we get to heaven one day, would like to be able to give God something back. Amen? We'd like to be able to give a reward back to him and say, God, thank you so much for all you've done for us. Here you go, God, giving it back, casting the crowns down before him. And so I believe all of us would like to be there. But there are some people out there that are lot-type Christians. They're lot-type Christians. I mean, they come out of Sodom and Gomorrah just barely escaping there and their clothes still smelling like fire. But God says they'll still be saved. Salvation is based upon a person. That's Jesus Christ, not our works. Not our works. That's reward. Now thirdly, let us notice this. Our motivation to build appropriately. He's already kind of given us some of this. And I want to touch on that again. But the reason... That we ought to build in such a way. The reason we ought to build, as we'll see here in just a moment, with these precious elements. Is because if we don't, God will defile that which we defile. God will destroy that which we have defiled. Folks, we are not our own anymore. We have been bought with a price. We are indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. He asks this question rhetorically and with conviction in verse number 16. Know ye not that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? Don't you know this? Don't you understand this? Of course they did. They understood this. I've already taught these things to you, and you've probably already heard them once before. But Paul is correcting them for their rebellion and for their divisiveness that they had had for their carnality. These Christian, these Christian Corinthians had become carnal. They were building with the wrong materials. In some particular cities and locales, you're only allowed to build with certain materials. And the city of Austin is very stringent on sometimes those materials. You can get an inspector to come out, check your work, and he, he'll say, we don't allow that material. In Austin, you can say, well, the code allows it. I say, it doesn't matter. We're the city of Austin. 
We're the city of Dallas. We're the city of Houston. We don't care what the code says. This is what we want, and this is how it's going to be done. And if you don't do it, you're not going to get a green card. Anybody know what a green card is? It means you pass. You don't want a red card. Stop. Stop work. Don't do anything else. If you do, you get fined, $5,000. Proper building materials. Proper building materials. How many of you are glad today that the pipes, and I'm, a, I'm sorry, I just I hate all these plumber illustrations, but how many of you are glad today that the pipes that you drank out of, that they still don't let them use lead pipe anymore? Y'all kind of glad for that, you know? So sometimes we fuss about people using wrong materials and everything, but are you glad you're not, you know, sucking off a lead pipe anymore, you know what I mean? I mean, that's, that's kind of nice. There are advancements in some things, you know what I mean? So proper building materials is, is good. Wood, hay, and stubble are not proper building materials. I mean, I don't know how simple I got to be, but just let's go back to our hair of our chinny-chin-chin and think of our three little pigs, right? I mean, they built their house out of sticks, and they built them out of straw. And the big bad wolf came along and blew both of those down. I mean, those kinds of things don't last. They get blown over. What were they building with? Well, Galatians tells us what bad building materials are for your Christian life. You want to hear what they are? I don't have any votes, so I'll go ahead and tell you. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. That means excess of lust. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, strife, competitions. What do you mean? Competing. Who's going to be better? I'm better than her. She's better. I'm better than him. Jealousy, wrath, strife, bitterness, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, partying, these are all natural elements. None of those will stand the test of the fire. If we live out our days with building up with those, then whenever you get to glory one day and stand in front of God, then those days in which you lived for these things and tried to build upon Jesus Christ with those things, those days that you live building with those materials are going to be burned. And they won't stand the test of the fire of God. But rather, we should be building with the right materials that the Holy Ghost gives to us. Know ye not that ye are the temple of the Holy Ghost? And so, what did God do with Moses and also with Solomon and David? What did he tell them? He told them how to build the tabernacle and the temple. He told them the exact measurements. He told them everything about it. When you get to Exodus chapter number thirty. 6, 37, 35, and you start reading all these measurements about the temple and the, or the tabernacle, and you go, man, what is all this here for? Just think back to 1 Corinthians chapter number 3 and think to yourself that God was giving specific instructions because this was God's place where he was going to tabernacle at. Just like God gives us specific instructions. The gold, silver, and precious stones that we're building with now is not a 
house like this, but it's rather this house. And those precious stones, those gold and silver are love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, and temperance, and righteousness. Those are what God wants us to build with now. What materials are you using? If I were to give you a material list of the bad materials and the good materials, would you say, I'm using some of these and some of... What are you using to build the house that God has given to you? You're filled with the Spirit of God. You have Him. But if you build with materials that are not approved by the Holy Spirit of God, then you will not pass inspection on judgment day, but rather you'll be left with a pile of ashes. And I think if we're all very honest with ourselves and honest with each other, we all are probably going to have some ashes one day. We're just all hoping that our ash pile is not as big as our reward pile. Say, preacher, I I don't know if it will be. I don't know how I've lived. I don't know what it's going to measure up to. I don't know either. But that's why you come to church, and that's why you try to get realigned and say, you know what, I, I want to start building right again. I'm, I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit of God, and I want to build correctly. And then he says, in verse 17, If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple are ye? Which temple ye are? And the second motivation is this, is not only are we the temple of God, but also understand that God is concerned about everything that you put in your body and do with your body. You're his body. He says in Colossians, whether you eat or drink, do all to the what? Glory of God. So, Can you get drunk for the glory of God? Can you get high for the glory of God? Can you put that on your body for the glory of God? Can you wear that outfit for the glory of God? Uh, Can you cuss for the glory of God? Can you look at evil pictures for the glory of God? Can you sin for the glory of God? Can you remain in bitterness for the glory of God? Can we listen to evil music for the glory of God? Can we eat 15,000 calories in a day for the glory of God? Can we sleep all day for the glory of God? Can we be lazy for the glory of God? We're God's temple. That's what we are. And so I've taken this message from, I hope you say from teaching down to this applicational point here, is that, yes, I'm upon a solid foundation preacher. Yes, I know and I understand that I need to build correctly, but are we building correctly? And the same could be said about the church. The church is God's holy temple. We are his temple. We are where the Holy Spirit of God should be living with. The Bible says where two or three are gathered together, there am I in the midst of them. Now, here's the conclusion of this lifestyle. It is this stern warning. 
He tells us that those that will not listen or heed to this instruction and to this admonition, he says those that will continue to destroy the body that the Holy Spirit of God is filled with, he says God will destroy. Think back to our tabernacle and to the temple. Think back to the temple. God destroyed the temple. They defiled the temple. God destroyed the temple. In the New Testament, Herod's temple, they defiled the temple. They bought and sold and they made it into a den of thieves like Jesus said. Jesus cleansed the temple two times, but they still didn't listen. They still continued on in their ways. And 40 years later, God destroyed that temple. But think back on our lives. How many people has God, how many Christians has God had to defile or destroy? I know it's a building of these things, but when you think back through these things, are we so unafraid of God or so undisturbed by sin so complacent to sin in our lives that we fail to recognize that if we continue in such a state that God would rather destroy the body and save the soul? He'd rather destroy the body and save the soul. That's God, that was what God would rather be done. How many Christian, how many Christian ODs have there been, right? How many people have, that have no mental capacity anymore that are, that are Christians? How many people have ruined their lives and are in jail for the rest of their lives, but yet they're Christians. You say Christians could, could do those kinds of things? Yes, they could. Just read 1 Corinthians. You'll find Christians doing a lot of really bad things. Worse than I just mentioned. The point being is this, is that God is offering to us a warning tonight that we are the children, we are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwells in us. He is there. And when we quench Him, when we grieve Him, there will be consequences. And I should say this too about the church, that the same could be said about the church. That whenever a church steers away from gospel teaching and preaching and steers away from the doctrines of the Word of God, is that God will destroy that church. Just look at the churches in Asia, Asia Minor. You say, what's Asia Minor? Modern-day Turkey. Modern-day Turkey was the bastion of Christianity. It was the stronghold of Christian thought and influence. Antioch, Antioch was, was where the real Christians were at serving God with fervor and zeal. Not down in Alexandria, down in Egypt. The real believers were there in, there in, there in, there in Alexandria, or excuse me, there in, there in Antioch, serving God, sending out missionaries, doing a great work for the Lord. But look at that region now. Turkey is 99.9% Muslim. What happened? Churches began to go astray, teach false doctrine, and get involved with immorality. That's basically it. And what happened? 
God says, if you'll defile me, then I'll destroy you. I'll destroy you. Those churches are not there anymore. Folks, I don't know if you've got a pulse on the church in America, or I should maybe say the churches in America, but the churches in America are dying. The church, if you will, in America is dying. A recent poll that was just put out that polled about over 3,000 born again, they, they classified themselves as born again. When if, if you say to somebody, if somebody says, I'm a born again Christian, that's a pretty slim classification, okay? You're not a Baptist, you're not a Presbyterian, you're not this, you're not that. No, you're a born again believer in Jesus Christ. 60% of the millennials that were, that's people that are from ages 18 to 39, that were in this study, 60% of them said that Jesus is not the only way to heaven. You know what that means? That means 60% of them are not saved. If you, do, if you believe there's another way to heaven, you're not a Christian. You're not saved. Christianity is exclusive. So what is that telling you? It's telling you this, and that number they said was doubled from 10 years ago. What's that telling you? In another five years, it's probably going to double again. That's telling us this, is that the next generation from 18 to 39, and I'm right on the cusp of it, some of you are right in the middle of it, is that that generation and the next generation are basically godless. Are basically not believers in the Lord Jesus Christ by majority. That's where we're heading. And I hate to put, and I know statistics and all these kinds of things, but I, don't really, I didn't really need that statistic. It just kind of confirms some things that I already knew myself. And that you probably already knew too. But the church in America is on life support. And it's partly because we as individuals have lost what it means to be the temple of God. Our body is a temple. Everywhere you go, you are to be showing off God. You're to be showing God off in your life. What about Monday? Did you show God off in your life? What about this weekend, this past weekend? Did you, was, was God showing off in your life? What about the past week? Has God been showing off? Has it been, has it been, has it been just radiating off for you like, this person's got God on them. This person is different. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance, faith, uh, there's something different about this person. Remember, I mean, everybody else can live in idolatry and adultery and covetousness and, you know, fornication and hatred and murders and heresy. I mean, everybody else can live like that. It's pretty easy. It's a pretty easy lifestyle, you know. But Christians are to be different. Our lives are different. We're at the temple of God. 
the temple of God. Ye are the temple of God. Do you know that? I believe you do. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. His temple is holy. Maybe there's been something that's come up in your life. We all have to confess, I do too, that we're not being the temple that we ought to be. Sometimes in the Old Testament, it was many years, many years before a king would come along and realize the temple's in disrepair. We need to raise some money. We need to get back to work. And for you, it might not be many years. It might be just a couple of days or it might be a couple of weeks. It might be several years. And you say to yourself, you know what? I need to get back to work. I need to tear down. I need to, I need to go back through and I need to tear down all this other stuff that I've been putting up. And I need to throw it down, get rid of it. I don't need any of that. All that's just wood, hay, and stubble. I need to get rid of those things. Say, I want to serve the Lord. Serve God. I want to be His temple. All of us need a little cleaning time, amen? We all do. Temple gets dusty, it gets dirty. But we also need to make repairs. Thank God for the Holy Spirit of God that lives inside of all of us making us useful for the kingdom of God and for his glory. Whether therefore you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Father, we're thankful.